Hello and welcome to another episode of My Soccer Story. My name is Joshua Doring. Thanks for joining me as I talk to people from around the world of soccer to learn about their journey and what the sport means to them. My guest today is Hannah Diaz, who currently plays for Japanese club Orca Kamigawa. Hannah's professional career has taken her to three different continents and includes a stint in the NWSL with the Houston Dash. Our conversation covered everything from why Hannah chose to begin her career overseas instead of in the NWSL, to her experiences living in different countries and adapting to different cultures. So sit back, relax, and listen as Hannah Diaz shares her soccer story. Joining me today is the one and only Hannah Diaz. Hannah, thank you for taking some time to share your soccer story. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. And the first question I always like to ask is just very simply, for you, where do you think your soccer story started? Where did you kind of first develop your relationship with the sport? I grew up in a really small town in Northern California called Middletown. Um, my high school was 400 kids. We had all gone to elementary and middle school together. Uh, but I have an older sister. She's two years older than me. And she started playing soccer first. And my relationship really began with playing with her in the front yard and that competitiveness of, you know, you're out there in the sun and you're there after dark and you can't see the ball anymore. Um, and so I think that's where my competitiveness came from. And then eventually, um, you know, we, we had to start our own team in the town. There wasn't any soccer and we were pretty far from the nearest cities. And uh, so just trying to navigate a world where, Maybe the opportunities weren't there right away, but we had good support and we loved it and we were competitive. So I think that was the seed to everything else. And where do you feel like it went from being something you do with your siblings, being something you do for fun to pass the time to you feeling like this sport might actually be a big part of my life? This is something I really want to dive into and see how far it can take me. Um, there's two moments that I remember pretty distinctly. One was in high school. Um, all my close friends were getting jobs, like after school jobs at a yogurt shop or something. And I really wanted to get one. And I remember my mom having to tell me, you already have a job. You already have a job that's going to pay for your school. You already have a job that's going to give you opportunities. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's the way this is going. And then When I went to college, I think it was my first meeting with my coach freshman year, and he sat um, in front of me a piece of paper, and it gave me all the requirements for um, pro-level standards, whether that be like athleticism, so 40 times and mile times, things like that, um, standardized tests, but also uh, technical tests. And he said this is your benchmark. This is what you need to be looking at, not at a college level, but at a higher level. And that was the first time that somebody had told me that maybe there was more that I could do than just get myself to school and and open that door. Um, I had never even thought about it. And by (laughs) by my sophomore year, you know, it was conversations with NWSL teams. It was, how do you prepare 
um, now to possibly graduate early, possibly get into the game early. Um, and those were two moments where I didn't have those expectations for myself. I had a different, I guess, goals or dreams because I thought maybe they were more accessible. Um, but I was lucky that I had other people seeing in me something I didn't see yet. How long did it take you to kind of buy into that and believe it? You said it was, you know, kind of something you didn't see at first. Was there a, a point where you you kind of said these people, maybe they're not maybe not so crazy. I can actually do this. Or did that take a while for you to kind of reach a point where you went, OK, yeah, I'm not trying to just get to college. I'm trying to carve out a professional career. for myself. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's one of those things where inside like my inner talk has always been I'm better than what I am currently doing um but I would never say it out loud I have a big fear of failure I have a big fear of embarrassment so putting those standards on myself is difficult for me um but once hearing it then it becomes oh okay so I'm not alone in this I'm not alone in this feeling that maybe I have a little bit more in me that I can tap into and so uh, just hearing it really switched gears for me. Um, you know, it went from maybe doing some extra training on my own to I'm waking up at 5 a.m. and I'm out at the field at 9 p.m. after classes getting shots up. Um, so, yeah, it's I think a lot of people struggle sometimes with confidence or maybe they feel like they have false confidence. Um, and sometimes just those outside people can validate how you're feeling. And now we are we are talking halfway around the world from each other because you are in Japan right now. That is where your career has taken you among other places. And we'll get into all of that. First, I want to start with, though, you mentioned kind of beginning to, to see this professional pathway and have your you know, college coaches talk about that. You had a very good, you know, distinguished college career. When did... When did you start considering the idea of playing overseas in particular? Because soccer is one of those sports where it's it's not, and I want to dive into this later too, but it's not as cut and dry as, especially on the women's side, as some other sports where, okay, I'm trying to get to the NFL, I'm trying to get to the NBA. Yes, there's plenty of good basketball overseas, but it's a. I feel like it's a different world, particularly for women's soccer. When did you start thinking and exploring the possibility of, playing around the world. Is that something that had always appealed to you? Um, well, I've always been travel minded. Uh, you know, summers, summers in college, I would work during the spring uh, to save up so I could go travel in South America or in Central America, um, mostly because I'm an over trainer and my coaches were like, you need to leave for a couple of weeks or you're going to get injured. But um, uh, so I always kind of had that bug. I got that bug from my mom. She's always taken us on pretty crazy trips and taught us how to how to do that how to navigate a world you don't really know but um it wasn't until my junior year going into my senior year where you start to you know really talk about the draft really talk about NWSL and I was graduating early so I had set myself up kind of perfectly for that um and there was a couple teams interested in me in the draft and I started talking to players that had previously played at Cal Berkeley, which is a neighboring school to mine, and what their experience in the NWSL was like and, and what 
I would expect as a rookie or, you know, going in and trying to get a contract. Um, and it didn't really appeal to me. And, and part of it was because I had found out so late uh, that maybe this was my path and I was pushing uh, with extra trainings and, and with video, I could feel myself progressing at a really high rate. And I knew that I wasn't quite where I would be in two or three years. Um, and so part of my thought of going overseas was I wanted to play and I wanted to um, have a big role on a team and have a good impact and grow my game further. Um, and not saying that I wouldn't be able to do that in the NWSL, but my role would be different. So um, I might be stifled a little bit in that or discouraged or, um, but on top of that, I wanted to be outside of the U.S. and I wanted to have other experiences that soccer opens the door for, um, you know, more on the life side of things and and learning about other people and learning about different ways to do things and, and taking the best of different places and bringing them to my own thought processes or my life. And how did your, so you kind of came in thinking the end of the cell doesn't sound like the path for me right now. How do you start a pro career when you are, especially in your case, when you are looking specifically overseas, I have to imagine that is just a very strange world to navigate based on, you know, the people that, that I know that I've talked to. It's, it's not as simple as just, Oh, this team's going to come find me. This team's going to draft me. That's obviously not how it works. Yeah. And now I know how much uh, little I knew, you know, uh, it felt like a black hole when it was happening because you really have no idea and you're, you're trusting the people around you. Um, for example, my coaches helped me uh, with an agent uh, based in Northern California and, and he's the one that helped me create video and, and reach out to teams. Uh, but now I understand the vastness of the opportunities overseas and, and how entangled things can be sometimes and how many teams there are out there that are looking for American players. Um, there's a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of, um, I don't want to say facade, but there's a veil because you don't quite know what you're going to get. And so it is a chance, you know, um, especially when, like my rookie season, I came to Japan to the same team that I'm playing for right now. Um, they had never had an international player before, um, let alone an American. So it was a new process for them as well. So you are taking a chance. Um, but I've always kind of excelled in those moments where like maybe certain things are stacked against me and I have to figure it out. Uh, but it's all about what you make of the situation um and how far you can push yourself and that would have been the same for any team I went for I just got lucky and and found a good home yeah what what was year one is it Orca Kamogawa am I pronouncing that yeah correctly? yeah and especially because you you just said this is a new experience for the club as well what what was that like what were your expectations going in and what how did it kind of all turn out for you what did you take away from that first year as a pro Right. Um, so I was lucky enough, they invited me out to experience the club before I signed. Um, so I came out in December 2017. You know, they took me, I'm in the Chiba Peninsula. So it's 
right to the east of Tokyo and it runs south um, and we're on that coast out there. It's a small surfing town. And so they let me experience Tokyo. They brought me to the town. I got to meet the team, talk to the coaches, watch them play a game. Um, and so I got a little bit of a taste of it. And so when I came, I at least had something to visualize before I got here. Um, but it was exhausting. It was a very, very exhausting year. It's one of those things that no matter how many coaches tell you, you know, the level is a step up and no matter what level you go to, um, it, it's nothing, it's nothing like actually experiencing it. And it takes your, your mind and your body, you know, it took me maybe a month or two to not feel exhausted. And part of that is, you know, you have to do media and that's not something that maybe you had to deal with in college as much. So you're, you're devoting a lot of your hours to something that's not directly correlated with soccer. And then you're also in an environment where you don't speak the language. And so your mind is tired from trying to figure out everything around you. And the end of the day, you're like, man, like, I didn't even train today. Why am I so tired? And then you remember, oh, I don't understand anything around me. And my brain is trying to, you know, correlate. Um, but so there's a lot of little things uh, that going overseas kind of drains you. Um, you're away from your family. And for me, like being in an Asian country, it's completely different than a Western country. And I learned that when I went to France as well. Um, and you do feel separated. I'm lucky that I like to feel separated. And I like to kind of be in my own bubble and, and live my own way. But uh, a lot of people struggle. And it, it's a difficult thing to get used to. But you have to realize how adaptable you are. And, and if you trust yourself and you focus on things that are going to make you better, not just in the moment and, and keep you steady, but uh, help you grow in the long run. If you could just throw one piece of advice out there to a a college player from the U.S. who is also looking to go the international route, you obviously seem like you were you were about as well prepared as you could be. But what is the one thing you feel like you need to you need to know, or that you wouldn't maybe expect that becomes really important when you're right? And I want to get into kind of the the soccer side of. The, the language barrier and culture and all that, but you're, you know, you're in a completely different world. What is the one thing you would want to pass along? I think I would tell someone to first identify and then hold on to your strengths and, and on the field and off the field, on the field, if you are a good goal scorer and nothing else is going right, go and score goals, just focus on scoring goals and everything else will fall into place. So um, really be able to look at yourself and figure out what you bring to every team that you're on and then go do that better than anyone else. And you mentioned obviously that, you know, you went to France in between your two stops in Japan. So you've had not just one league, but two different leagues, few different clubs at this point. First, how difficult is it to go from, one league to another because that's something that obviously happens all the time in soccer i'm not sure there's a full appreciation of the challenges that come with that yeah there's there's a lot that goes into it um one for me was changing languages uh was interesting but it's also when you're in a league 
you get to know the teams that you're playing against and you get to know the players that you're playing against and, and you have expectations going into games and you understand styles of play. Um, and so when you switch leagues, it kind of goes back down to zero and you have to be, rebuild that, that knowledge again. Um, and so it takes some time to, to really feel like you've got a handle on it. Um, and, and every league runs a little bit differently. Like, um, in the Japanese league, I can expect to fight every game, you know, every team has this kind of will that, um, doesn't break. Even if you're up three zero, um, it's a battle. And then you go to France and you might get three zero up on a team and, and it's just smooth coast in the second half, you know, and, and that's not a knock on the French, but it's a, it's a different football, um, and styles of play in general change from league to league. So in Japan, it's a lot of small spaces. They really, they cut the field down into smaller spaces. Uh, they play very, very quick. I would say they run at 110 miles an hour, 110% of the time, um, where in France, you get more of that rhythmic football. You get more of that slow the game down and pick the pace up and uh, really spread the field out. So uh, just that change, you ha your mind kind of has to get used to different looks on the field and recognizing uh, different situations again. Um, so it is, it's a process changing, changing leagues. You mentioned the language and obviously that's a big part of this. Quite simply, what is training like when you don't speak the language? Because that's just part of the world of soccer. <laughs> I, and I'm fascinated by it because we just don't seem to ever talk about it. And I sit there sometimes wondering, you know, what the Brazilian, the Dutch international and the Spanish referee are, what language they're using trying to talk to each other. Yeah. So what, when you've got a coach, but you're not just trying to communicate, you're trying to understand tactically and systematically what you're expected to do for your job. What is that like and kind of what have you learned about that process going through it a couple of times? Yeah, it's, it's funny because it's not something that like growing up watching football I ever thought about. And then when I moved overseas, I started watching games again and, and started trying to read, you know, players lips because it's different. It's very different. You have this this mesh of cultures and they're all trying to figure each other out um, because it's not just language. It's how you connect with people varies from from country to country but uh for me my first time here I was lucky there was a Japanese American on the team so she did a lot of translating for me um now the my head coach she spent some time in the U.S. and so her English is okay she can get she can get through a lot of the tactical stuff but it relies on me to really fill in the gaps um and in France they know English, they just choose not to use it. So <laughs> it, it's interesting. Um, you have to be observant and you have to learn uh, to recognize the way people are saying things more than what they're saying also. Um, especially when you are learning the language and you don't know the language yet, you have to read emotion, you have to read reactions on people's faces. Um, and also you have to learn how to use your body, especially on the field, to communicate something, um, which is something that every soccer player does, um, whether that's a hand movement saying I want it at my feet or in space. But it's more exaggerated when you're in an environment that, you know, everybody doesn't understand each other. 
but for the most part i am lucky because my my language is english and that is the bridging language in international soccer you know you if you are a spanish player playing in germany you're probably communicating in english um but as you get to higher and higher levels and on these different teams you do surround yourself with players that have also played overseas. So, um, for example, I played with a Danish player and a French player who both played in Germany and on the field they would communicate in German because they both felt more comfortable um, with that language than trying to speak the others. So there is a little bit of that going on, which is pretty cool to see. Um, but it, it's a puzzle, definitely. And it's it goes unseen by a lot of fans and a lot of spectators i think are, are you getting you mentioned you had a teammate who was able to translate round one in japan are you getting translations if there's and i'm assuming yeah you probably you know you probably had some teammates in france that could speak english as well are your teammates the ones translating until you get a grasp of the language at least to a certain extent and how long did it take you to become strong enough in Japanese or French to feel like you could at least feel like you kind of said piece some of it together and sort of figure out what people are saying. Yeah. Yeah. At first, a lot of it is teammates. Um, and for the most part, people like to learn English and they want to learn English. So they like to practice it. So that is nice. Um, my first year in Japan, Maybe it took me a month or two, but commands are, are very easy anywhere. So um, there's commands that you know you're going to say on the field every time or here on the field, whether that's, you know, um, as a defender, you're moving the player in front of you to help defend better. So you're saying right and left, those sort of commands, forward, back, stay compact, inside, outside. So you know, at least now I know, um, after a few years of doing this, what words I need to know immediately before going in. And those are the questions that I'm asking. You know, those are the ones that I'm remembering first. And once you get that taken care of, then you can start kind of picking up different tactical commands, like um, where we're setting our pressing line, um, which way we're forcing, like those, those sort of things. Uh, but in Japan, my first round here, I don't, I... I couldn't even pick out words from sentences sometimes. It took a very long time to figure out what people were saying. Now that I've come back, um, even within the first week, I was like, oh, I knew a lot more Japanese than I thought I did before. And, and it's been a lot easier this time. And um, I'm diving into it more, maybe because I learned a bit of French. Um, so I know what I'm doing. But France, the difficult part was... I did have a few players around me that they weren't fluent in English. I, I did play with Daphne Corbeau, which is um, she's a French American um, who grew up in America. Uh, and I played with her for one year at Fleury in Paris. And so she did a lot of translating for us. But when I was not with her, um, it was easier to communicate than in Japan because they were more exposed to the one, the Western traditions and so there's, it's easily translatable, a lot of things about our lives, but also they're just more exposed to English. So um, I guess that helped, but it also stifles because then you stop trying to learn the language sometimes because it gets too easy. Um, but 
I really dove into French partially because I loved the culture and I loved being there. I, I, I always tell people that the French are arrogant, but I think they're right. I think they, <laughs> I think they really do have it figured out, but um, on the field, I guess overall uh, you have to really put the effort in because you can put blinders up and not learn anything. Uh, so you also had some time in the NWSL, which makes you the perfect person to answer one of the most interesting <laughs> questions to me in this sport. And I've had people ask me this and I don't have a good answer. So I want to ask you because you're qualified to answer it. I am not. Can you compare League on to the NWSL and specifically the top? You've seen PSG, you've seen Lyon, you know, these teams that are until this season dominating the women's champions league. What what is is the top of league on better? What is the gap? And just generally, how would you compare the two leagues? I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> yeah. Uh the one way I've always described it is the French players will beat you standing while Americans will beat you running. So um the French are vastly creative and and less reliant on tactics. A lot of it is free-flowing, which makes it harder to defend because you really don't know what's going to happen. You have to look at characteristics of players more than characteristics of teams um, because they don't run on patterns. Um, the biggest difference, I would say, between Liga and the NWSL is Every team in the NWSL can compete with each other, but there is a big gap between the top and the bottom of Ligue 1. But that top of the French League can beat any NWSL any day of the week. Um, they just have so much talent, and, and it's a different sort of talent that I think is hard for Americans to step into, but I also think French players have a really hard time stepping into the NWSL. Um, it's it's two different styles of play that aren't necessarily transferable all the time. There's a technique required to play French football because they're quick and random and creative. And so you have to be able to take so many different types of touches in order to build in the attack in, in French football. Um, where in the U.S. it's much more structured. You know you're going to be taking this touch with the outside of your left foot to turn this way to play wide. But in the French League, that wide player might not be making that run, so you're going to have to switch and go the other way pretty quickly. Um, I... <laughs> It sounds terrible, but I prefer watching and playing French football because it's more fun to me. Um, but I highly, highly respect the NWSL. It's, um, there's so much that goes into every game that maybe fans don't see. I mean, the meetings start Monday or Tuesday at 8 in the morning in the week, and you're already preparing for that Saturday game. And um, the tactics of the NWSL, and I've heard similar things about uh, the Premier League you know, the coaching is really, really great. And that's something that has kind of 
<laughs> taken a bad rap with all the investigations, but we have amazing coaches in the U.S. And that is something that you don't get everywhere else. You know, sometimes the biggest Achilles heel when you're playing in France is the coaching. Um, so there's a lot of differences, but I, the biggest one is is the feet of the French. Their feet are so nice. <laughs> So do you feel, yeah, because one of the things that the NWSL is built on is the, the depth and the parity, right? That the gap between 1 and 12 is so, so small. Do you feel mm -hmm. like if you throw, pick whatever NWSL team you want into, we'll say the Champions League, do you feel like they're competing with the Barcelonas, the Leones, the Chelsea's, whoever it is? Is it is it that close or do you feel like they would struggle playing against the best of the best from Europe? I, I think they would compete. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, my American ignorance. I don't think it is. Um, I think we are, we have so many players and people in the U.S. that our talent threshold is so high. Um, and that's often what makes it difficult um, in the NWSL is you have so many players that can take anyone's spot um, and so many players that get left unseen. But I think they can compete with anyone. Um, especially when they're at their their best game. You know, you take their worst game and put them against Barcelona, they'll get smacked 6-0. But so will Lyon, you know, on their worst day. So, um, and that's just football, I guess. But I really do think the any team in the NWSL can compete at that level. Well, thank you for enlightening me because I've been fascinated by that. And it's, it's not a conversation on the men's side, right? It's obvious the Champions League is the best of the best. The Premier League is the best of the best. NWSL throws a whole different... Converse, you know, wrench into the conversation. So thank you for that. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you, you mentioned the the investigations and we don't need to go too deep into that, but just as a, a female soccer player who knows plenty of people in the NWSL, who has experience in the NWSL, what was it like for you watching all of that unfold from, from abroad, knowing some of the people involved and obviously having a personal connection to all of that? Yeah, um, I mean like we were talking about before it went into some of my decision-making not going to the NWSL because even then you heard horror stories, you know, um, just there's, there's a huge difference between the contracts that you sign in the NWSL versus contracts anywhere else. And it's the American professional system, which says we own you, um, where in other countries you, you have a lot more freedom over your, career um and that's just the way the system is set up the nwsl is modeled after american professional sports instead of maybe world soccer uh which to me has always been the issue but it's also that's just the way it, the way it fell um it it's hard because you can't say you weren't surprised at some of the stories, which is sad, but after going through even even the college atmosphere, you know, you hear stories similar in college as well, whether that's from um, coaches berating players to the sexual harassment stuff. I mean, it, it's just all over female sports in general, and it's something that we just have to deal with. Um, and it also is happening in other countries. It's not just the U.S. The U.S. has a huge magnifying glass on it and it has a bunch of eyes. And 
um, especially because of some of the social movements that are going on in the U.S. right now. You know, it, it brought a lot of it to light. But other countries that maybe don't have the same faculties that we have, like may maybe the players unions aren't as strong or as organized. Um, there isn't a, a lot of media on them. They don't have the same support to bring those things to light. You know, you hear stories every once in a while. There was some stories in France while I was there. Um, but it is happening on a bigger scale, unfortunately. Um, but I think it's just growing pains. Um, the, the women's, women's sports in general but the women's soccer world is at this weird stage where we're just starting to get real money in the game and uh some teams have it some leagues have it some don't so it's kind of disparaged but um when you have a little bit of money but not enough maybe you're getting people that are qualified for the job, but are there for the wrong reason sometimes. Um, and you're not getting always the best of the best, or some people are getting the best of the best where the others kind of have to pull from the smaller, smaller selection. So I think it's just growing pains. I'm hoping it's just growing pains. Um, but it, it was necessary is kind of how I felt about it. And then final question before we start wrapping up, you have a a very creative side to you writing, expressing yourself all kinds of different ways. Where did that come from? And how do you feel like that has, if at all, contributed to, to soccer, shaped the way you play, the way you see the game? Do you see any connections between that part of who you are and the soccer part? Yeah, definitely. Um, I Both my parents are creative. Um, my dad, I mean, he taught himself how to play guitar and he can play every single Beatles song by heart and can't read music. Um, and he paints and it, just incredible. And my mom, you know, writer, reader, uh, big into gardening, if you consider that art, I do. Um, <laughs> and so I, I've always been surrounded by that sort of thing. Um, started reading at a young, young age and really like that's another world for me. I love diving into a book. I love writing I love poetry um and then I I did a lot of painting growing up and in, in high school but uh that part of my mind and growing that part of my mind definitely helps me on the soccer field um you can one it helps with visualization I'm able to prepare for games in a different way I think um but also being able to deconstruct certain situations on a field and have a broader view maybe um, while looking at something smaller. Um, so I think my vision on the field and my creativity with the ball at my feet has always been a strength of mine. And uh, that's definitely comes from the creative part of my brain. One more question before we jump to kind of the final three I have for everybody. I did want to mention this as well. Favorite experiences, highlights just from the places you've been? Obviously, you're living a life not very many people are. Can you just quickly go over some of some of your favorite things, you know, more cultural off the field? Yeah. Um, soccer, one of my favorite experiences was uh, playing in the French Cup final against Lyon. Uh, incredible experience, you know. Uh but overall, I've made friends outside of soccer and in these countries that I've been in, and I've kept those relationships. And um, 
it's interesting because it's always in broken English or in broken French or whatever the language is. Uh, but you develop such a deep connection with these people because you're from different parts of the world, but you suddenly realize, oh, we're the same. We, we grew up so differently, but we have all these similar ideas and interests and, and we love the same things and immediately a bond is created. And I've found that they don't go away and I'm able to come back into, for example, my, my friends in France, I can show up and be like, oh, I'm in Paris and they're there the next day for dinner. You know, it's, it's a very interesting, cool bond. And I really, I'm thankful for all the people that I've met. And then the final three questions I like to ask everybody again, Thank you, Hannah, for your time. First one, how has your soccer journey shaped who you are as a person today? That's a hard one. <laughs> um, I think soccer um, and, and pushing my body to the extent that I've pushed it um, really expands the horizons to anything you can do. Um, once you've done something really difficult and you've made it through that other side, whether whether that's physically or mentally, um, it broadens your horizons in, in every facet. So I think it's just expanded um, any path I choose to take. Um, I know that I can push myself and, and get to where I want to be. And, and soccer has given me the practice for that. And second one, you might have alluded to this already. Maybe you have a different answer. What would your highlight or defining moment or you can name a couple of your story be Um, I think my defining moment was actually getting cut from the Houston Dash. Um, part of that experience, it was difficult, but the whole time I was there, I, I knew I shouldn't have been there. Um, so there was a relief in it as well. Um, and it, gave me the opportunity. I hadn't felt that sort of failure before. And it wasn't necessarily a failure I put on myself, um, but this outside kind of failure where someone's telling you, you cannot anymore. Um, and that was a really interesting headspace to be in. Um, and I'm so happy, one, for the people around me that helped me during that time, but also I'm so proud of myself for just grinding through that and, and seeing how much I actually do love this game and, and how much I wanted to play it again. Um, and I'm just happy to be doing it again. And then final question, kind of open-ended. What does your soccer story mean to you, Anna Diaz? My soccer story means that you can go from being a big fish in a small pond to being a small pit fish in a big pond and still feel like a big fish. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Hannah. We appreciate it. And really enjoyed hearing about your soccer story. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Hannah for taking the time to chat. Be sure to subscribe to My Soccer Story wherever you listen to podcasts. 
The video version of each My Soccer Story episode is available on the Touchline Talk YouTube channel, and there is a written version at touchlinetalk.substack.com, so be sure to check those out as well. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.